play when I eventually go insane and just start making absolutely bonkers top five Star Trek videos on the YouTube channel. I think that this Mm -hmm. one, False Prophets, is clearly going to win number one on my most tedious Star Trek episodes, (laughs) I think, because I was was enamored when... (laughs) (laughs) with the the breasts in this episode which are uh sublime in a lot of ways i think i think uh, a lot of silicon and silicon parts are made for toys as sir mix a lot would say to you but uh, i was mostly thinking uh it's funny when when a breast is covered right like we're so used to seeing we're so used to seeing the go on we're so used to seeing the top of it like the top of the Uh breast with the cleavage but when you when you shift it up a little bit and you can see the under boob underneath Mm it it's like it feels like it's a whole new world in like sexy apparel for some reason yes it's much more um it's uh, winter intriguing. down south when it's uh, when it's summer up top or whatever the hemisphere uh, (laughs) equation would be there yeah um for a planet that didn't have much in the way of uh technology they clearly had good plastic surgeons yeah they've mastered the breast implants which is really where all capital should be spent this i assume is the episode that drew rick berman to the franchise (laughs) he's been pitching this one he's been pitching a tent and this episode four years brandon brandon are they they all like this this is if i'm being honest it's the first episode i've ever watched but if they're all like this sign me up it's good stuff this is false prophets it's the fifth under boob and lobe massages (laughs) is this what all that star trek is (laughs) this is is what he's he's got uh papers full of ratings and charts and bar graphs he's waving them around (laughs) this is episode this is the this is the most watched episode of star trek ever by me and that has to count for something episode five of season three came out on the 2nd of october 1996 it is two of two in the arador and cole arc Teleplay goes to Joe Minoski. Story credit goes to George Brozak. True Brozak. Uh, directed by Cliff Bowl in University State 50074.3, which is 2373. In False Prophets, Voyager discovers a pair of Ferengi who control the economy of a primitive world. Nearby is an unstable wormhole that leads back home. Uh, we covered this one on Patreon just a couple days ago. It came out. If you're listening to this episode as it came, came comes out, we released uh, the Patreon episode a couple days ago where we revisited The Price, which is the sort of prequel to this or the, the episode that leads to the stuff that happens here from TNG. So you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file and look for it there. And if you're much in the future listening to this, it came out in February of 2023 if you're trying to figure out where it is in the Patreon timeline. So... um. I'm glad we rewatched The Price, Clay. Mm. Are you? Yes. Yeah. What's actually funny about that is uh, when I started watching this episode, I was watching it with my girlfriend, and uh, when they, they started saying the stuff about the wormhole and whatnot, uh, she she said to me, didn't you just watch this episode? And mm-hmm. it took me a minute to remember that she was talking because she also watched The uh, uh, the Price with me. But but when she first said that, my response was, no, Voyager kind of does this a lot. There's always like a wormhole or <laughs> some shit that they got to deal with. But then I realized, oh, no, you mean the other thing. She's like, yes, that, oh, yes, that is, this is connected. It's sort of a sequel to that. Yeah. They, get, they, they drop you little, little uh, tidbits or whatever. They're like, it's a wormhole that seems to be jumping around just to remind you of everything that's happened. I was glad we watched um, the TNG episode. It's always nice to go back yeah. and do those revisits and stuff like that. But I am... Um, 
I don't know if, if maybe maybe it's good to start here, I suppose, before we get into the episode proper. But we talked a little bit in the Patreon episode, which we won't rehash too much here, about just the um, the tone of TNG is easy to settle into and like mm-hmm. sink back into. And this episode actually got me thinking much more about the tone of TNG, which I think is like it's maybe not a tone that covers even most of Star Trek series at this point. But I think the TOS had a little bit of it and TNG sort of like smoothed down the edges to a point where it was like this polished little sphere of tone that they had. And um, I think the reason that TNG sticks out as like pinnacle Star Trek is because it, the tone is an end result of the show taking itself very seriously, even as it is absurd in itself. Right. And yeah. I feel like all the tracks after TNG have stopped taking themselves seriously in the way that TNG took itself seriously. And well, I, I mean, I, I think you could argue Deep Space Nine takes itself pretty seriously for the most part. It does, and, and the tone is different there. So this is this isn't a perfect analogy, but I think, sure, sure. I, I think it's that even when they had Ferengi episodes in something like TNG, right? The Ferengi felt like they acted within the bounds of what that show was for what they were mm-hmm. supposed to do. They were like stupid characters, but you know, they, there was no, um, there were no swashbuckling sword fight comedy routines in TNG, you know, that like, were like Ferengi well, have swords and are slapping around at each other. Yeah. I mean, Ferengi, no, but I mean, Barclay did that a couple of times, but I, I know what you, I know but, what you but mean. Within Generally, the context, yes. Within the context yes. of a fake world in TNG, right, yeah, he yeah, would yeah, do that. Yeah. But I, I think that um, I've been trying to think about how to like describe it, and it's really hard to do. But I think that the reason, like the reason why TNG holds up well, I think, is because much like how Patrick Stewart saved the role by taking everything very serious, like playing things seriously, even when it's a stupid Star Trek idea. Mm-hmm. The tone of TNG just keeps things. I don't know how to describe it. It, it makes it feel more unique than any of the shows that came after it, really. Mm. Like, there's something about it that's kind of special in how it told stories, how its characters talked to each other, how the how the characters played off of each other, and the sort of, like, um, almost soap opera-ish quality to how the, everyone interacts in TNG with each other. Mm-hmm. And when you lose it, you start veering into this, like, Voyager Enterprise territory where it feels much more like just a generic genre tv show that happens to be set in the star trek universe like it doesn't feel like there's anything unique or um different about it than any other 90s sci-fi show it has that same kind of energy to it does that make sense yes um definitely when you get to enterprise i think it has that energy very much like I, I always kind of equated. I think we probably talked about this at the time. I always equated Enterprise with the same kind of vibe as like Stargate, yeah, or something. An, another one of the, uh, the UPNS, the, UPN yeah. show or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, Ferengi specifically, it's interesting because yeah, you never really see the Ferengi played like this in, in TNG, but you do see them played like this in Deep Space Nine. And yes. so this very much feels like a Deep Space Nine Ferengi episode. Um. For for better or worse, unfortunately, <laughs> but yeah, it's it is it is so fascinating how the tone of TNG is so unique and and integral to the success of the show. Um, well, I'd say that you, even 
No, you go, go ahead. You can finish. No, oh, no, no. I, I was just going to say that I, it, the simple thing of having Patrick, an actor like Patrick Stewart, say these lines believably, like, and I, I don't mean that to take away from like what what William Shatner is doing or anybody else is doing, but like coming off of William Shatner, um, Picard's delivery is so much more natural and like like uh, realistic than than Kirk's delivery is generally. And so even though he's saying equally as absurd stuff, he does like he does treat it seriously. Like he's actually having an important diplomatic conversation about, you know, the rules of acquisition or some yeah, shit. Yeah. This, and it this is wormhole. It, yeah. Yeah. And it really does affect the the I think it it is powerful enough that it um extends out to everybody else in the show, even when if nobody else is quite on the same level as he is. It does sort of like, you know, Riker can only be so big because the 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 top end is kind of Picard, and if you go past that, it feels weird. Yes, and so and the same thing with like Data, where Data can only get so big, or 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 you know, it, so it's it is a a very um, it's it's very co- a considered tone. It's there's a lot of consideration put into the tone of that show that I I don't think necessarily translates to i still think deep space it's not the same like the tone of deep space nine is definitely not the same but i do find that tone considered a bit more than than voyager yeah i i would agree and i i can't remember if we talked about it at the patreon or if we talked about it in some other episodes so i won't go too much into it but i like i i think that ds9 has a very different tone but i think the thing that distinguished it like you were sort of comparing and contrasting kirk with picard I think that at, the, at least the common bind or uh, binding that TOS, TNG, and DS9 have is that they don't all have the exact same tone, but they are mm-hmm. all stylized within their own show to a certain degree. Like there's a, a TOS has the sort of 60s genre TV thing going for it, where I, I feel yeah. like the characters in TOS, the excesses of TOS come from the sort of like we have to have like an actiony show that people can watch, and so it it got a little bit big and it got a little bit like fist fighty and stuff like that. But the characters themselves were fairly consistent in how they talked to each other all the time, and it was like it felt like it was in that universe. TNG is like a white collar office version of that. <laughs> like they yeah. settled it down and they all talk like professionals all the time. And as you were saying, Stewart's performance kind of infected the rest of the cast. But I I also think the writing was different in TNG than it was in the later shows. DS9 got a little bit more personal and loosey-goosey, but I still felt like they were all consistent with each other. And at least like the the Starfleet characters in the show felt a little bit Starfleet-y to me when you contrast them to the Bajoran characters and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think think the other shows... The problem is coming off of TNG. Um, if you look back at Star Trek, uh, you have three very um, unique eras uh, before you get into the the franchise bloat of the the later nineties, where you've got the the TOS era, which is is very um, specific and has its own look and feel. Then you've got the movies that after the first one, they figured that shit out, and now those all are very unified and have their own style that's different from TOS, even though it's the same characters. Right. And then when you get to TNG, you're not just riffing on that other stuff. They created their entirely separate 
uh, style and approach. Yeah. But but the thing is, though, after TNG, everything was just cribbing off of TNG. Yeah. And so that's when you start to get the stuff start to fold in on itself because nobody is. I mean, again, Deep Space Nine prop is the only one that really kind. Well, I guess you could argue Enterprise tries to do it, but it's too far gone at that point. But like uh, Deep Space Nine does a pretty good job in later seasons of separating itself. But there is still a lot of, you know, uh, the base is TNG instead of the base being its its own thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's um, DS9 is a little bit of an evolution, like an interesting evolution off of TNG in that way. But we don't, we, we always kind of make fun of Roddenberry and stuff because he was, he had some terrible fucking scripts and he had some terrible ideas. But I will, I do think, Roddenberry deserves a lot of respect for going different with each iteration of the thing that he did. Like mm-hmm. TNG feel like his his choices of how to handle TNG spawning off of TOS and everything feels kind of courageous at this point where so much now of the franchise is just being self-referential and talking about other things that have happened mm. to to come up and be like I want the characters to act this way. I don't want to reference Vulcans. I don't want to see any of the previous characters and stuff. It's like it's like respectable to to do that and if he was at least somewhat responsible for the tone of tng i think it's, it was like a really interesting decision that he made to play things that way um and it's made the show have lasting power even the movies too i mean he was involved with the movies yeah yep. and you very easily could have had that first um star trek movie have everybody back on the same ship wearing the same colors and shit but he was like no what if instead of all these colors it's a lot of grays and <laughs> drab off whites and beiges just eggshell white everywhere as far as the and spock say. doesn't talk to anybody <laughs> some ideas were good as i said some ideas were bad i think it extends even to the um the writing it's not just a performance yeah. thing like the uh the janeway scene here where janeway has to justify uh going against the prime directive and her argument is that well we hosted the conference right like i it's not the the show isn't really taking itself seriously here and i know this is a ferengi episode and it's supposed to be a comedy but it's not funny because it's a ferengi episode um i just i feel it that kind of stuff reminds me of the ending of dreadnought where they're like Starfleet's got some weird shit in it, Ensign. Get used to it. And then the right, credits yeah. roll. It's it's so self-referential and winking at itself that it doesn't feel like it has respect for itself in the way that TNG does. In and, that scene in and of itself, though, I actually liked because I, I found the way that they – the new interesting Prime Directive discussion to be uh, uh, fascinating to me mm. where it was like – it was a you – know, it, it's not – it doesn't play into any like major thing in the in the episode, but the idea that well, the Ferengi don't a- abide by the Prime Directive, so what they're doing is not breaking any rules, but we do. So technically, we can't go down there and stop them because they're still you know pre warp or whatever. Yeah, and then to have her come up with this asinine back door where it's like, well, technically this is our fault, so I guess we can. It's like okay, sure. Like I I always enjoy when they kind of have to backflip over the prime directive to, yeah. to make their story make sense um i feel it undermines it so i like it, it's it's the, the problem is oh, i mean you, the prime the prime directive is there to be undermined you know it's it not, is but the, the harder you push on it the stupider it seems in the first place yeah like yeah. It, it's 
TNG did skirt towards that sort of stupidity with the Prime Directive, but they, the characters in TNG, like just dealing with the Prime Directive, the characters actually f- f- seemed to feel that the Prime Directive was important in that show, right? And I think mm-hmm. the Prime Directive is a fairly stupid rule. And I think that this Voyager episode does a good job of explaining why it's kind of stupid, which is that like you could watch some other empire conquer a planet and you're not supposed to do anything about it because mm. they don't abide by the rules that you do. Yeah. It, it strikes me as very odd, but the more that they have to backflip over it, you just go, why are they even still talking about this fucking thing? Because it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't seem to stop any uh, behavior on their part. Well, the whole thing with this episode, too, is like this is one where I really hate um, uh, <laughs> the modern Internet uh, media criticism that comes down to basically someone saying, well, why didn't they do X? Because, I mean, I, I just don't I hate I hate that because it's not, you know, it, it, it doesn't really um criticizing the the choice of of a character in in something as being the wrong choice or not the easy choice or the stupid choice is isn't valid criticism to me as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. Um that being said, <clears throat> this episode is one where when I got to the end of it I was like, man, Janeway looks like a fucking asshole at the end of this yep. because she's so like charmed about out Ferenging the Ferengi and it cost them it costs them a ride home when the ship is pathetically like, chasing after the wormhole trying to get yeah <laughs> like almost honestly i was thinking at the end when when the shuttlecraft left and was and was going back towards the planet the the thing i was thinking is if i was janeway how quickly do i tell paris or whoever's in charge of the guns to just blow them up yeah Th- no, that's, you know, that's the answer is you shoot them and you go through the wormhole right right and, I, and then you got to be like listen I did what I did. I'm sorry. We're home now. Yeah, <laughs> and we, we we prevented that planet from being abused by the Ferengi yeah. anymore. And and yeah, I you know this isn't ethically right, but they were assholes anyway. So you know whatever. The the, the last act of this episode sucks. It's terrible. It's bad. Yeah. It's awful. Not not even just for that reason, but it's like, you know, it, it's it's like it's every everything that happens in the final act is a contrivance to get where they need to go and none of it makes any sense when it's put when it's all put together like the the fact that they do not have a plan in place for we should always be moving towards the wormhole no matter what happens like should at the end of it shit's gone bad and it's only towards the end when you know everything is fucked that Janeway's like Paris Set a course for the wormhole. It's like, what? Right. Why? Yeah. Why haven't you been going at this thing the entire time? Who cares about those Ferengi? Like, there's just the. I don't know. Again, I just don't think that the show takes itself entirely seriously in that regard. And it really struck me in this episode as like it is a comedy, but it's all. It all feels like it's ill considered on some level that they they're just doing this because this is how a Voyager episode is going to go, and it's like consequences be damned or anything interesting about what the consequences are we're not going to actually talk about any of this or do anything with it we just got to end this episode the way that it has to end yeah and the thing with invoking the prime directive and being like well the prime directive says we can't go down if they had followed the prime directive they would have been home right you know so it's yep. it, it's like that final scene honestly the final shot is pretty good because 
Janeway has this look on her face that kind of says, oh, I get ready, up. Get ready for the mutiny. Is that, yeah. is that look on her face? Yeah. But like, you know, getting to that point, I was like, this is everything that they did at the end there was, yeah, very contrived where it's like. You Ferengi, the, you better not go to the shuttle bay where we're storing your shuttlecraft. Yeah, Don't go down there, Ferengi. And then uh, we can't we can't transport them out because they're they've started a graviton pulse, <laughs> which shuts and then the they wormhole. get they, yeah they go into the wormhole and the graviton pulse causes the wormhole to like get erratic and just <laughs> disappear on both ends. Like how the fuck does how the how do they know it disappears on the other end? Uh, yep. And they the one also where do those guard. guys end up? They end up in like the sigma quadrant or something i always i always i just imagine they got home for just because that's like it, it's the ultimate depressing ending to this whole thing that the episode doesn't even dwell on which is that the ferengi got home after all this was said and done yeah like know. if they don't like because he said the, the 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 other end of the the wormhole is now moving as well um if that means that the ferengi don't get home then that's even worse yes than if if janeway had just either a left them alone or b blown them up yes because now those guys are definitely dead probably <laughs> and <laughs> or just on another planet doing the same thing they, yeah they and there. now there's a power vacuum on the planet that they took the ferengi <laughs> off of and I'm, who knows how that's gonna go <laughs> once they run out of money in the temple to hand back to the people i mean the, and, the best part of the episode is when it starts to go bad and they're gonna burn them alive and i was like this episode is actually gonna turn into a two for me and then it, they, they did not get burned alive <laughs> i will say i did think that neelix was a very good ferengi how long did I, he have to study to, how how much study time was he given before he was given that performance? I don't know, because, yeah, I mean, like, that's all shit that he, he's never seen a Ferengi before. No. But I thought the actor did really well. I thought he was a good Ferengi. Yeah, been, this is his, uh, it'll be, he, he was a Ferengi three times, Ethan Phillips. Oh, was he really? Yeah, he was one, like, one in Enterprise and one in DS9. Oh, Or, or okay. TNG, well, maybe. Fun. Maybe TNG. The other thing that I spent the entire episode thinking about while I was trying to stop my eyes from rolling into my head while mm-hmm. watching this, is uh, where I knew the guy with the eye patch from. Yep. And then finally, with about 10 minutes left, I realized, oh, that's the guy who runs the hotel in Ghostbusters. Oh, okay. The first the first place that they go on their first mission to get Slimer, that's the guy that they deal with. He was pretty good. He was a decent actor for the, yeah. the thing yeah, they had, had to do here. Yeah, I didn't, um, I didn't like this episode at all. I, I don't like the Ferengi. Uh, memory off is funny to me because all the production quotes are like, well, everyone knows everyone loves the Ferengi, so we thought we had to get one in. It's like, I, what? The, who the hell are you talking to? You know who loves the Ferengi? The rest Your of dentist. the cast. Yeah. Yes, yeah. My, my dentist, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the rest of the cast loves the Ferengi because it means they get a week off, basically. Yeah. Also, I knew we were in trouble when in the first scene where they get beamed up out of the uh, out of the uh, the temple there and the way that the guy reacts is to just like start lounging around on shit and playing king that <laughs> you mean they're, like, their you, assistant person yeah, yeah their assistant i was like you think that these two are gods <laughs> who have just disappeared dematerialized in front of you how are you not like screaming and 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 speaking in tongues and dropping to your knees and praying to them or so you know what i mean like it's well how does it, he know that they are yeah, my question about it was he is very relaxed, but he doesn't know that they aren't choosing to leave and are going to come back. You know what I mean? Like, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I, you know, so it's like th- there's there is kind of an interesting element to this setup because it's basically uh, the man who would be king only yeah. with Ferengi. Yeah. 
Um, I like the idea. But, you know, it's like yeah, a lot of yeah, it's a right? fun idea. It's a decent idea, and if the Frangie weren't so stupid, I think you could actually have a really interesting episode about it. Like, uh, I I think that the way to make the Ferengi interesting is not to have them just be this like unsubtle, absurd. It's not capitalist, but they're like mobster characters, basically. But the the real focus on them should be that in contrast to the Federation, the Ferengi are all about like self aggrandizing and like um, their selfish interests, basically. Like they act only for themselves as opposed to the ideals of the Federation, which is that like everyone works together as a team and stuff like mm-hmm. that. That's really the difference between the Ferengi and the humans. And every Ferengi episode suffers because it just comes down to these clowns going like, I want more money. I want more money. Give me more money. And like the core of them is more interesting than that. But you just, you're stuck in this position where they just are, are goofballs and they're not funny and you get stuck watching them for 45 minutes. Yeah. I was kind of hoping that the episode was going to just have everybody just keeps showing up as Ferengi. Yes. And just, it's making it more and more complicated. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It was, um, it was not great. Do, um, I've been thinking about it a lot, but maybe I, 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 I guess I'm just curious what you think about the tone difference here between these shows. Like I, um, am I missing something by just saying that it's the show not taking itself seriously? It, it, it just feels, I don't know what better way to describe it, really, which is that it feels like everyone involved in Voyager does not embrace the concept in the same way that TNG and TOS tended to. And I think the show suffers because of it. And Yeah, I I mean, I think it's the same thing we've talked about forever, which is like this show has a very specific concept that they more or less ignore. Yeah. And so they just, they take their concept and they push the concept aside for the sake of... You know, fairly generics for the most I hate to say generic but like as far as Star Trek goes fairly generic Star Trek episodes that are just sort of like familiar and yeah. they're not it's it's so strange to me that they that they took it's kind of it's kind of not well no it, I guess it is very different I was gonna say it's 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 kind of similar to Discovery where Discovery set itself up as like something really different but then played so much on the stuff that came before that it kind of didn't really matter yeah but this one this one more so feels like they they set up with a really interesting concept but what they end up giving you is just star trek you can put on while you're folding laundry and recognize it peripherally as star yeah, trek star trek because it it's it's almost it's deep i want to just be clear that it's like it to me it feels it's deeper than just the performance in the way that the show looks and the way that the actors mm-hmm. act and stuff like that yeah. because it's like a what they what they seem to be doing in the series at this point is that they'll they're doing what you're saying which is that they abandon their concept and they come up with a sort of like uh you like it's either referential or it's a retread of something that's come before it which is hard or which is hard to avoid because there's been so much Star Trek, but like everything will feel a little bit too familiar. But they also, there doesn't seem to be the effort in the production and writing side where how do we tweak this even the slightest bit to make this different than what came before it in any Mm. way? It, It just feels like we know how this works. We know how we make Star Trek episodes at this point. So we can kind of take our foot off the gas in terms of creativity that's going into it because the show is now more of an assembly line than anything. 
And yeah. the franchise exists as long as we are able to make these widgets. This franchise will exist. So even in stu- – like we, we talked about in the Price, the Patreon episode, it's not a good episode, but it even ha- – it has something at its core that it's talking about. You know, like there's a Riker story in there. There's a Troy story and stuff like that. Yeah. And here – the story is how close they come to getting home, and it's not even really all that important at all. Yeah, like there should be a lot more pressure put on the fact that they are, you know, 500,000 kilometers away from getting home, getting you know? Home, yeah. <laughs> it's it's shocking how, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, how background that is for the sake of this goofiness on the planet that like does, could not matter less. To yeah. to any of the, what these characters are doing, you know, yeah, yeah. If it was the other way, I think it would work. If it was the other way, where somehow the Ferengi were were stopping them from getting closer to the wormhole or something, you know what I mean? Yes. Where it's like they came down to the planet to check something out, and then they get impeded by the Ferengi. Then that's different. Then you actually have a story there. But this one, they're going out of their way to mess with the, the Ferengi just because they don't like what they're doing yes. in this village. And it costs them a trip home. And they should be mad about that. <laughs> yeah. And the you know the solution is you don't even have to kill them. They just shouldn't beam them back down to the planet. Be like, you guys have to come with us now. Sorry. But you've yeah, had, you've like had your playtime. The first time they beamed them out, yeah. they should have just said, okay, you sent, go to the brig. We'll be home in twenty minutes. <laughs> we'll send you back to Ferenginar. And then well, what what are you? What are we gonna do? These people think we're gods. Like, well, yeah. Well, they'll they'll figure it out. They're adults. <laughs> I mean, it's that's the other thing about the Prime Directive is like, do isn't it isn't it wrong to engage in that delusion when you know it's not the case? You know, like there's an argument to be made of like, I know you're not their gods, so. Like, I know that they would be potentially shocked for this not to be the case and for you not to come back, but I have a bigger sense of what's actually going on here. So there's an argument about whether or not you should take them away or whether or not the Federation has the right to impede on it or prime directive and stuff. But I I think just the argument of, like, just because these people believe something, you are... Uh, impotent to be able to change anything that's going on around that by removing the Ferengi from the situation. I just, I wasn't convinced by that argument. And it's just another case of like the Ferengi have to get back to the planet because they can't escape at this point. And the the Voyager can't go through the wormhole. So yeah, when they, when they beamed them up the first time, Jane, when they, and they were like, uh, you can't just take their gods away. What are they going to do? Janeway should have said, how do you know we're not their gods? Yeah. yeah, Janeway should have said, okay, you guys go to the brig. Chakotay, you're good with spiritual shit. Can you write them a note or something (laughs) and just beam the note back down to one of those Poochie notes that says, I have to go. My home planet needs me. And then Poochie died on the way back to his planet. (laughs) Put on your genie vest, get down there and tell them exactly (laughs) what's going on. Yeah, it was um, not good. Not impressed. Uh, go to Patreon Thoughts, I guess, sure. at this point. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Patreon.com slash the Penske File is where you go to get the price episode that we just covered and a whole bunch of other stuff. Patreon.com slash the Penske File. You can also leave comments about upcoming episodes and we read them. Here are the first couple. As soon as I can control F, where the hell did it go? Here it is. All right, I'll send this one to you, Clay, first to get our... 
juices flowing here on commentary for false prophets. This is Kyle Barrett. Okay, hold on one second. Okay, false prophets. When I said I was missing Deep Space Nine, this wasn't what I meant. Who thought a sequel to The Price would be worse than the original? And there's so much annoying Ferengi action, it was shocking to remember at the end that this was all about Voyager almost having a way home. For the second episode in a row, Janeway comes across as a hardcore Federation colonist who just has to meddle. And once you pick up on how often characters use the phrase, suffice it to say, it drives you nuts. It drives you insane. <laughs> it almost got good when it turned into Ken Russell's The Devils with Neelix being burned alive at the stake. If only the episode had ended with Kess masturbating using Neelix's <laughs> charred femur. One Emmy-nominated episode out of five. Excellent Devils reference. Yeah, I... um. You know, the, the, the burning alive thing was almost close to the show saying that this is how things can go bad with the Prime Directive, and they just they mm-hmm. didn't really want to comment on it or anything like that. But uh, I don't know. Thank you, Kyle. Tax Bear says, False Prophets. This series has more Alpha Quadrant stuff than Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is actually set in the Alpha Quadrant. That aside, why do they even do the usual profit routine with the Ferengi here? Do the natives have anything to offer to them that doesn't come out of a replicator? The Ferengi, Ferengi should have attempted to become the absolute rulers of the planet. I was thinking that too. I feel like I, I wasn't really sure why they set things up the way that they did. Because, um, yeah, I, I don't really know what – I don't know. They got, they got a replicator. What do they need their money for? You know, I, yeah. I I understand they're Ferengi and they're all about money, but yes, I f- I feel like there was a better story in there with those three elements, but I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, I mean, I guess the Ferengi drive for profit is so strong that they will recalibrate to whatever new system they're put into and only want to get profit out of it. Then, yeah, you know, yeah, it's not even real. Like it's it's all confused. It's like it's like not even really profit. They just want. They just want money. Like they, they yeah. say they're interested in profit, but they don't have they don't build systems or anything. You know, they they don't like have revenue where they're 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 counting out their like outgoing expenses and stuff and like we need to maximize this. They just want money. So it, it's it's confusing. I didn't realize that they had such an affinity for ear ear necklaces. Yeah. They should have they should have gone to the Vietnam War. They would have yes. been <laughs> gods there. Well, wait till we get to that season six episode, Clay. Oh, boy. This is Jonathan J.K. Morris with False Prophets. False Prophets. I'm reminded of the special forces guy from Predator 2 screaming at the screen as the Predator sneaks up on the team in the meat factory. It's right there. It's right fucking there. Guys, the wormhole is right there. Pretty cool episode in terms of continuity. Uh, Terrible in terms of story. Two out of five. Mm. Jaron Hatch says, I'm so glad the show went to the trouble of leaving the Alpha Quadrant behind just so they could pull a Ferengi out of their hat when they run out of ideas in the third season. They should have called this one False Stakes, as the whole scenario is incomprehensibly stupid, while the Voyager crew comes across as wildly incompetent. That said, this episode is some is more somehow is somehow more memorable than episodes that are technically better, but still manage to be forget be more forgettable. What a confusing show Voyager can be. Two convenient plot verses wherever they need it out of five. This is the kind of episode where if they wanted me to take them seriously, the next episode would be the beginning of a of an arc where there's a mutiny on the ship. Yeah, there's a discussion about Janeway's <clears throat> making bad decisions and we need to get home. Yeah, yeah because it is uh, unforgivable the way that she handles the situation. 
<laughs> it was just just the the disorganization of the plan at the end. All you have to yeah. do is keep driving to the basket there, Janeway. Like forget yep. everything else. You can try to do other stuff, but get to the wormhole. Don't get cute. Don't start doing passes behind the back and stuff. <laughs> Patrick break to Siva. the break to the net. That's right. It's a it's a three on two. This is Patrick Sebo. You can do the poem. False prophets. <clears throat> it's season of miracles, season of cheer, until those three wise men should deign to appear. Ferengi again, chuck them in the bin. What call? What callback plot would you like checked on this year? I oh, mean, I'm so bad with this rhyming scheme. <laughs> I don't think I can For, do any better. So okay. <clears throat> It's season of miracles, season of cheer, until those three wise men should deign to appear. Ferengi again, chuck them in the bin. What callback plot would you like checked on this year? I think it he's got too many. He's got too many syllables. I think in the last line. I think that's the yeah. Problem. It's just the 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 two the the two the a a b b a is throwing me off here. But anyway, Ferengi again, uh, chuck them in the bin. What callback plot would you like again? Something like that, right? I think I think you need to simplify it. I don't know. I'm I'm not a poetry expert. Sorry, you can finish. Yeah, four guilty pleasure ear jobs out of five. Mm-hmm. Mer- Merry, likely late Christmas, you filthy animals. Thank you. Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, we're in February now, <laughs> but Merry Christmas as you hear this. Aaron Million says, "False prophets." Yeesh! What a clunker of an episode. If I want to watch a Ferengi episode, I will put on Little Green Men from DS Nine. How does Neelix give up his disguise so quickly? And how, how, how does Janeway not have Tuvok handle escorting the Ferengi to quarters? Also, how are the two security guards, one for each Ferengi, taking them out of the transporter room? But then we only see one of them in sick bay after being attacked, with no mention of the other. He's dead. He's dead, Jim. One holy pilgrim sage out of five. Well, he, they gave they, him a concussion, so he was seriously <laughs> injured. They definitely found a lot of uh, Pixar-looking motherfuckers for that that planet, huh? Yes. Those, those two, like, skinny guys <laughs> with the big eyes and the long necks yes. <laughs> all look like the the guy who owned the Dalmatians. Yeah. <laughs> Under one Dalmatian. They found, they found some uh, wonderful facial actors. The next one's short. I'll read it. Malo Provoso says, false prophets, two out of five. Changeling. Is our next comment, which comes to you. Episodes like this really make you appreciate actors like Shimmerman, Grodnchik, and Eisenberg <laughs> because the guys playing the Ferengi this episode really grated on my ears, which, as we know, for the humans, it is the equivalent of someone crushing your ball sack. <laughs> That being said, Ethan Phillips is much better playing Neelix pretending to be a Ferengi than just playing Neelix. But one pity point bump for a great title pun. Two must be some kind of fetish out of five. You know, it's funny. I was thinking uh, when you were saying the thing about the underboob. Yep. Uh, I think I can't remember if it was an SNL skit or something else, but there was this thing where um, there was a, a new fashion trend of uh, nutsack cleavage. Yeah. So it was the the bottom of men's pants were cut open so you could just see the very bottom of their ballsack. <laughs> yep. The men of this planet don't have such uh such fashion statements unfortunately. <clears throat> this needs to be an episode about that. They have to go down to the planet but no one feels comfortable wearing the clothing that these people wear. <laughs> 
Brendan Neal Howell says, false prophets. Question, what's sillier than Ethan Phillips playing a Ferengi? Answer, Ethan Phillips playing a Talaxian disguised as a Ferengi. Whoever writes these episodes should really know by now that Ferengi comedy is an oxymoron. If I wanted to watch Women in Veils, I'd watch I Dream of Jeannie. Avoid. Zero frangs out of five. Good reference to the frangs. I think you're the only person who referenced there what the money is that they call them. Uh, I'll read this one too. Justice for Toon Shu says, False Prophets. I'm sure a lot of listeners might hate this episode because it involves Neelix the Ferengi and Neelix masquerading as a Ferengi, but the embarrassingly bad Aladdin cosplay from Tom Paris and Chicote had me laughing until I tore my obliques. Couldn't help noticing that when the Ferengi try to escape in their shuttle thing mobobs, their consoles look like they're made from the decapitated heads of R2-D2. This is, the, this is the Star Trek Star Wars crossover that we all deserve. Two Ferengi ears out of five. Point extra G. I did, uh, I did also say my girlfriend mentioned when they got to the uh, the planet. I can't remember exactly what she said about their clothes, but I said, yeah, that's another thing on Star Trek. For whatever reason, most alien races just really like vests for some reason. Yeah, they love vests. I mean, the... The, the the plot, again, is like these guys are looking for information, right? Chakotay and Paris down there. And everyone's like, give us your shoes. And they have to be convinced <laughs> to give them their shoes when all they do is replicate the shoes. You know, it's like, right? Wh- what's the problem? Just giving these people what they want for so they can give you the information that you need. It's this weird, like, un- ill-considered, why, why would Chakotay care? It's a small well, point, but it just it's because... Me. It's because, and <laughs> I can't believe you don't know this, Wes, much mm. like you didn't know the Betazoid eye thing, but the, uh, <laughs> the secret to faster-than-light travel is inscribed on the soles of all Federation uh, Starfleet officers' shoes. Oh. So if you are going to a non-warp uh, planet and you leave your shoes behind, that's basically like leaving the Terminator arm behind. Oh. You know, you're going to change everything. I get it. I thought you were going to go in a um, Chicote being a Native American doesn't want anything more taken from him, <laughs> but they didn't. They didn't do that. Instead, uh, this is false prophets. I sent it to you. It's point extra G. Yes, <clears throat> false prophets. I remember when Voyager was on the air, a bunch of fans online, yes, we were on the internet back then, remembered from TNG's The Price that there were two Ferengi in the Delta Quadrant, and we were all like, Voyager could totally meet up with those guys. They should do that. Maybe we didn't really know what we were asking for here. This isn't terrible, but it falls right into the same pile as most of Deep Space Nine's Ferengi episodes. Yeah. Unless we forget, DS9's Ferengi episodes are bad. It's, uh, it is one of the worst parts of that. Mm-hmm. series but matt ross says false prophets oh a little trivia clay so zero one or two how many of the actors returned to play the ferengi one yeah it's just one i don't know which one no but- I, I don't know either so <laughs> apparently i didn't even realize this the uh the second Ferengi in TNG, the TNG episode, didn't even have a line. He was like an uncredited really? actor. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So it's only one that says things. And the one that they got is the one that says things. So Ah, okay. Matt Ross says, false prophets. I like the tie into a TNG episode and the fact that there seemed to be an angle to get home. I always wondered, what if the ship sat still and waited a bit if they could make it into the wormhole? It is true. Like, how long can you just sit in the same spot and have the wormhole 
uh, reappear for you. I liked Ethan Phillips as the grand proxy and the cheesy nature of the pure capitalistic parasitic relationship imputed to the very human-like aliens that are like that like ear jewelry. That said, with the cheesiness does get a bit tiring from ear jobs to the overemphasizing of words, wait for Clay's voiceover, none so far. But overall, this was fine, if not a bit boring, as we knew the original airing, they still had a season left. Three ear necklaces out of five. Grappler John Zorn is our next comment. Voyager isn't sci-fi. It's just a show about not getting laid. Tuvok, the faithful spouse, is not getting laid. Janeway, the Victorian hollow novel consumer, is not getting laid. Seska extracted Chakotay's uh, DNA, not with her room temperature Cardassian hoo-hoo, but with technobabble. <laughs> room the temperature delayed- means she's dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's that's pretty chilly. <laughs> the Delaney sisters exist in dialogue merely to highlight Tom and Harry's inability to score. Mm. <clears throat> Don't even get me started on Kess and Neelix. This is a show so rooted in Puritanism that its characters would rather cockblock a couple of Ferengi <laughs> than get themselves home. No, sir, neither Voyager nor any of its crew will ever penetrate that wormhole. <laughs> Two bright blue testicles out of five years to go. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of pent-up frustration. We're getting, we're getting into Gene Shallot territory with some of these, <laughs> I, mean, I think. Well, I, I like that comment because it actually almost makes the episode about something. Like, That's true, yeah. The, the symbolism in the comment is more than the symbolism of the episode, except it's the English lit thing where I'm like, oh, that's a good point that you pulled out of your ass uh, that actually lines up with everything. So Yeah, that actually would have been a much more interesting episode if it yeah. was just the, the, the text was just, everybody was just really sexually <laughs> frustrated. And so they took it out of the Ferengi and then it ended up not getting home because of it. Yep. Artorius says, false prophets. I guess I will be going against the grain here and saying I actually like this episode. I've always enjoyed watching the Ferengi and their bombastic ridiculousness. I found the episode very silly and lighthearted, and perhaps that is why I enjoyed it. From the moment you see them appear with an Epstein-esque entourage to them heading back to the Divine Vault, Salem style, you're reminded of the cartoonishness cartoonishness of them not everything has to be mind-bendingly cavalcade of literary highlights sometimes you just need mindless entertainment two golden ears out of five i don't know if i'd go that that far that wasn't necessary i wouldn't say that was epstein-esque those women were far too old yes they were they were mature uh women that's the i i'm glad you brought that up i didn't understand what the reference was but yeah they were real and they were spectacular, or the inverse <laughs> of that on the first yeah. half. Anyway, <laughs> well said. <laughs> those 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 breasts were defying gravity more than Voyager does when it lands on a planet. Is the, uh, the, the point there? Nick the Rat says, "False prophets, humans in the Delta Quadrant, and no one is curious. How the hell did Neelix become such a good Ferengi so fast?" Giving away money would mess up their entire economy and blowing up rare photon torpedoes for a light show. Sheesh, all while the doorway to home is closing. I would have murdered Janeway if I was on that ship. I hope Chakotay takes her shoes. Two ear grabs out of five. That's true. The photons are supposed to be limited in, in supply, and they fired off all, all three of them. I guess they needed to. I would have understood She's it if she'd gone to the She's clearly not focused. Yeah. She's clearly yeah. not focused on the important shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if she's like, we're going to go through the wormhole, we could fire off all our torpedoes. Yeah, I would have bought true. that. So this Man. is Wood, Woodrow to you. Her face would have been red yeah. if they did that. Mm-hmm. False prophets. The point of Janeway is to, at times, be a lousy captain. 
<clears throat> to be uncircumspect and investigate every nebula or distress call. That being said, her choices in this episode were horrendous. Even a rookie captain would know the Ferengi's response to a narrow band subspace carrier would have would sorry, a narrow band subspace carrier wave would be a graviton pulse destabilizing <laughs> the wormhole. When I was a kid, I never forgave Janeway for this episode. One star for Cosmic Karen. Yeah, this is definitely one of those episodes. I think I've I've used this example before, but every now and then in shows, I hate it when they do some have a character do something that is like you know that this is not what the character would do. Yeah. When the I always reference the Simpsons episode where uh, uh, Apu is asleep, and so Homer is holding all the scratch tickets up to the light to see which ones are the winner. <laughs> yeah. And he wants to buy the one that's a five thousand dollar winner, but he also wants to buy a, a like a hot dog, and he yep. only has money for one, so he chooses the hot dog. <laughs> like even even Homer <laughs> would, would see, know would see the bad yeah, yeah the downside of that argument. Uh, but that being said. Janeway makes enough questionable questionable decisions that I don't even know if this is out of character for her, frankly. Yeah. Well, it's the um again, she's kind of similar to Archer, right? I'm I'm sort of forgetting what Archer but Archer, right, Archer made so many bad decisions that we were unsure if the show recognized that it was a character trait of him. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah. Janeway's kind of the same way. Um I, I feel that the 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 like the thing that I would say is a positive in Archer there is that he was so consistently wrong that it almost felt like a, an intentional trait. Where Janeway just feels like she is at the whims of whatever has to happen, and she doesn't mm-hmm. actually have a belief system about anything. Yeah. it's tough. I, yeah. I'm I'm not impressed with Janeway as a captain. Yeah, it's a shame because like I like her performance. Like I like um, Mulgrew, but yeah, I I think that she the only. I'm starting to come down on that side where it's like the only thing that makes her consistent is is the way that she play, is played. Yeah. Like the things she's actually doing really kind of seem I can't tell if they're on purpose. She's purposely making these weird decisions and that's part of her character or if it's just not great writing. Yeah. Royo says, false prophets. The last thing the show needed was a Ferengi episode. What this show needed even less was Janeway violating the prime directive to topple the religious rulers of a Bronze Age civilization and contaminate their cultural mythology just because they disagree with their culture, which is a betrayal of the core tenets the Federation stands for. And just because the Ferengi did it first doesn't make stooping to their level when breaking the prime directive any more palatable. When the captain of the USS Equinox asks Janeway if she's ever violated the prime directive. Janeway doesn't have a leg to stand on. One out of five. Yep. And then the final comment is Ria Lavi says, false prophets, wake me up when we get to Scorpion, part one, which is the season finale. We will sure tell you to get over here when we get to that episode. (laughs) Yeah, I am... uh, is there any point I wanted to make about the Prime Directive? Um, I yeah, I, I mean, I think we talked about it. I just I I don't think that the Prime Directive is strong enough to hold back against what they need to do in this episode. It's just like yeah. it's it's not a good enough case for it. Where I yeah, I feel that anything um, matters. There was a one of the very few Star Trek books I ever read. There was a, a plot in the book that was about, sort of about this, which is that the the Federation stumbles on a planet that the Ferengi have colonized and they are much more hostile in the book. Like they are, they've literally just enslaved the the population and almost like Cardassians, they're just strip mining everything. They're like taking everything from them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that just feels, you know, that's a prime directive that you could interfere with, I suppose. Yeah. But here it's just, it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the decisions made in this episode, it almost feels like Janeway, the character, has become self-aware that she's in a TV show. Yeah. That's how I feel about a lot of the characters, actually. <clears throat> yeah. Because it's like, it is just not, the, it is not the decision made by someone who is desperately trying. They've been there for two years. Yeah. Or like they, they, she says that she says we've been out here for two years, and like there's no desperation built into that, and there's no like, I mean, I don't know. They've been burned before, so maybe they just didn't get their hopes up. I don't know, but <laughs> at least but make that a part of the text, then. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's just it's so weird to have the the core concept of the show so close to being resolved, but that takes such a backseat to the silliness yeah yep yeah the 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 I, I just think the later track series don't take themselves particularly serious unfortunately all right that's it thanks patrons for leaving your thoughts about the episode called what is it false prophets patreon.com slash lipinski file clay on our scale of one to five what are you going to give this one uh i'm probably going to give it a one yeah yeah, it's a. Um, I think it's a failure of an episode um, in terms yeah. of being entertaining, in terms of talking about what the point of the show is supposed to be. In the, you know, it's it's probably a two up until the last act, and the last act is like unforgivably stupid. Yeah, yeah. Once, uh, once, once Neelix showed up as the Ferengi, I audibly groaned. <laughs> I was like, ah, this is what we're doing here. I guess yeah. okay. I'm sure this is going to be great. I was actually, the only thing interesting about that appearance was that I was genuinely, maybe it seems obvious in hindsight, I was unsure which actor was going to be playing a Ferengi when they came through the door. Mm. I was surprised it was Neelix, actually. Yeah, not me. They seem to be on the same level as yeah. far as uh, ridiculousness. So well, Neelix is a good example of just the, the last point about my unserious. Neelix is an unserious character, right? Like, right. Yeah. He's is he the first unserious Star Trek character that they've had? I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. Um, I think he is. Right? There would be like like recurring main character, recurring probably, main character. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Riker didn't take much seriously, <laughs> <laughs> but I know I know what you mean. Yeah, I think probably I yes. I don't think there's anyone on TNG. There's no one on TOS, and I don't think DS9. Like Jake is a serious character. He'd be the only example yeah. of someone who's not. I think Neelix is the first not that way type character so he stays right through the whole show neelix does yes okay yeah cool buckle up thanks everybody for listening we're both going to give this one a one just kind of a silly stupid episode and uh the ferengi don't help so thanks everybody for listening patreon.com slash the if you want to support us and you get extra stuff like our coverage of the price which we were both cheerful and happy about clay when we covered it on the podcast yep. episode we were both we both have a long discussion about like well oh, it's a pretty pleasant episode there's some stuff going on there's some interesting things there's weird weird bad things that are at least interesting to consider in the context of what the show was like the stretching scene and stuff like that with troy and crusher <laughs> but it's all there on patreon clay do you have anything that's, you want to say that's where they dropped the ball yes is they should have they should have done a callback to that episode <laughs> <laughs> and had two of those boob ladies 
standing watching the two Ferengi stretch that's, like that's like the crusher. That's the dancing in this world is just that stretching sequence. That would be good. Those are the, the kind two, of the two Ferengis sack to sack stretching <laughs> stretching in front of those two women. Uh, do you have anything you want to say? It's f- uh, February as this February. Ah, well, if it's February, I hope you enjoyed our coverage of uh, Dario Argento's Tenebrae on our Rotten Horror Picture Show Patreon. I have to imagine it was great because I have to imagine because we haven't recorded it yet at this yeah. point. But hopefully it happens. And, uh, yeah, and I and I have I can't tell you what February is because we haven't picked it yet. So <laughs> we will get back to the wormhole of our own existence and return to a schedule sometimes near you that's it um i don't think there's anything else to say at this point we're done thanks everybody for listening thank you for leaving your comments thank you for supporting us on patreon we'll be back with the next episode which is i think it's called remembrance is that what it's called remember remember so we'll see you then